When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dunkin' Donuts to sponsor us. Travis Madigo's favorite food is now the Big and Toasted. It's a great <laughs> sandwich. It's it huge, has, huge sandwich. Uh, 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 Travis's canonical favorite sandwich, <laughs> which is something, yeah. Johnny, that you just gave away in this moment, and the audience <laughs> has been beating down our door to know. Uh, I can't Give believe. us the sandwich, Damato! <laughs> We need to know. Uh, What's his favorite treat? (sighs) (laughs) And we can't spoiler bot this. We can't spoiler bot the 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 cold open. And his favorite (laughs) beverage is still PBR Easy, correct? Dunkachino. Well, it depends on who's who's giving us the money. (laughs) If Duncan's giving us the money, it's a Dunkachino. If it is perhaps Blue Ribbon, it is PBR Easy. So there isn't a scenario (laughs) in your mind where. He takes the sandwich from Duncan and dunks it in a PBR easy. If the money's right. Oh, why would you do that? We were having a good time, James. (laughs) Why did you? Oh. I don't. Yeah. Oh, that picture. Most sponsorships don't require you to ruin the product. And make it work. Dust it in a beer that's mostly water. I have listened to enough Munch Squad to know that. Brands are very open to that sort of thing. <laughs> to be in ruined. fact, they do it on their own frequently. Whatever keeps you in the timeline, you know? I feel <laughs> like there's a way to make it good. No. What if it's like uh, what if it's like a PBR battered fried sandwich? You d- then you maybe deep yes. fry you you PBR batter the big and toasted and then deep fry mm-hmm. it. That's <laughs> some good shit. That I mean that sounds again. Like something I would hear on the Munch Squad. So yes, they think, would do that. It doesn't matter if it's good, Liz. I have. It, it matters upset. if they would do it, and they will. I'm going to turn back to Upper Nordia now and Margaret. Margaret is in a bit of hot water right now as there are five mariners after her. Uh, She has been separated from Travis. Uh, She is concerned about him but can't really do anything to protect him. Uh, She first has to protect herself and hopefully be able to regroup with Jonnet. So I'm going to have her use her powers and make an attack roll against these oncoming people. Hell yeah, Margaret. Heck yeah. 
So that is two successes and a disadvantage. So we see Margaret. Earlier, Travis had asked Margaret if she knew how to fight, and she assured him that she did. We now see how black lilies of her order defend themselves. There is the wild crush of these drowned sailors towards her. They are charging with their rusted, wicked blades, moving with all the cruelty and malice that mariners of the sea possess. Their movements are uncontrolled and jerky. They swing with a powerful emotional outburst. Everything they're doing feels as though it's lashing out. There's no calculated grace as there is with Gable. Margaret steps with grace. She steps with grace in a sort of dance. This is not Gable's battle ballet, though. This is a close and intimate waltz. She steps into every strike that moves against her, pressing her body against theirs, using her motions to lead them in the directions that she wishes. One swings with a sword. She steps to the side and inward, rotating his body so that the next sword swing strikes him in the back. She moves her arms up and around, entangling blades and moving them to clash with one another, and essentially steps weaving through this collection of mariners till she is at the other side, and she is able to move and run away. So she sort of just moved into them and stepped around them and used like quick movements to redirect their attacks away from her so that she was able to break through. I don't think she managed to kill any of them or make them kill each other, but she did manage to get away. She feels some of the power reserves that she had built up from Travis like dedicating himself to defending her life wane away. She spent a bit in that moment. So she feels the tension and moves quickly to try and regroup with the rest of the Uhuru so that she might be able to rebuild a little bit of power. Uh, While she is running, she flicks her pinky and Travis, you can feel a little bit of a twitch on your pinky. Uh, She's essentially checking to see if you are still alive. Uh, feeling that you are still alive uh, she takes a deep breath and uh, moves forward so we are going to now move over to uh, Lalorna once more Lalorna is a little frustrated Toku is a very talented fighter uh, and those water knives really should have done more damage so (laughs) she is going to cast a spell Yeah, I think she'll spend the strain to do this one. Okay, it is a hard check. What's the spell? (laughs) I will tell you once I know how it goes. What's the spell, huh? This carries a lot of disadvantages. So this is two successes, one triumph, and five disadvantages? Whoa. Oh, no. Glorna swirls her fingers in the air around herself. 
and it kind of like no one can see it but the water droplets in the air start swirling as well so instead of falling straight to the ground they're falling in this kind of spiral pattern she wiggles these fingers together and then flicks her fingers out once more and a heaviness fills the air around her as she casts the underswell. Toku is preparing to approach her and the other drowned sailors that she's brought with her to engage them in a fight. And suddenly, mid-stride, he feels resistance. He tries to move again, and he can move, but with difficulty. Suddenly, everyone who is within a close radius of Lalorna is moving as though they are walking through waist-deep water. So they are suddenly running slower than they could possibly run and feeling heavier. They're still able to move their swords quickly and whatnot, but the civilians who are quickly moving through are suddenly moving at a crawl, which means the drowned sailors are able to easily approach them and attack Uh. them. We have to deal with the disadvantage. The disadvantage is Lorna needs to focus concentration on this. So I'm going to mill all of those disadvantages into Lorna's ability to attack is going to have two black dice to it and two blue dice to attacks against her to maintain this spell. The triumph is her focus was on Jonnet. And so even though Jonnet is far away, suddenly he is caught and feeling as though he is moving through waist-deep water. It is terrifying. It is like in a nightmare when you are trying to run away from whatever terrible thing is chasing you and you suddenly find your feet too heavy to move properly as you can feel fear nipping at your heels. Okay, that's cool, but so, for yeah. the wrong reasons. Lalorna <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, has, has, has you and the others in an underswell. Before we turn over to Jonnet's turn, I am going to have the drowned sailors now try to attack these civilians. It is just one success. So yeah, civilians are moving now slowly as these drowned sailors are able to confidently walk up to them. And instead of their swords, they draw these wicked knives from their belts. And we can see this with one civilian, a, you know what, we won't even call it a civilian, uh, because this is a cool, horrifying moment. We see someone who is in the robes of the Church of the Slain God, who was fleeing alongside all of the civilians. He is suddenly hit with the underswell and finds himself unable to run quickly. He moves with all of his might, but it is not nearly enough as this drowned sailor calmly walks over to him and catches his hand out of the air and then drives this knife into the man's Uh. palm. And we can see bleeding out around the knife is a mariner's mark. And the man's flesh 
turns pale, as though he has become a corpse that has drowned and been floating in the sea for over a day. His flesh sags and becomes, like, milky and slimy, and he is now a drowned sailor and turns to join Lalorna's forces. So, that's what's happening over there. Jonnet, what you gonna do about it? Um... I was gonna I was gonna go after Margaret, but now that Jonnet is being affected by this, I feel like um do would I have to roll anything for Jonnet to know where that's coming from? I feel like it's I you uh, know, you saw Lalorna casting spells. Yeah. Like I, I'm sure John Jonnet can put two and two together. He's a smart boy. Yeah, smart boy. Um Okay, I think Jonnet is going to, he's going to, like, as he is slowing down, he's realizing that Margaret is not, he, like, slowly looks back at LaLorna and, like, processes, like, who is moving slowly, and he's still going to move towards Margaret, because that's where he set his mind, he's going to try and, like, link up with her again, so I think I want to do a move, and then in that move, I want to also, I guess, roll to reload uh, his revolver. Okay, okay. So I think the thing that you're going to have to roll for is moving, and I have a question okay. about how you're moving. You're, okay. you're moving to connect up with Margaret. Uh, mm-hmm. Margaret and you will kind of connect in the area where this staircase joins the main thoroughfare that connects the town square to the skyship port. So if you move down that thoroughfare, you're going to kind of connect with Margaret at where Lalorna and, and, and Toku and her forces are fighting. You could try and do a little parkour and like move down to the rooftops on the rung below a big issue, though, is right now your legs are really struggling to work properly. So it's going to be a big risk to do that, but you are not going to have to essentially fight through Lalorna's forces in order to hook up with Margaret. Yeah, I would like to if there's if there's an opportunity for Jonnet to truly like go from a higher plane into like a free fall to a lower plane because John doesn't necessarily know if physics still move at the mm-hmm. normal rate. So he might try and like get by by like instead of like going downstairs slowly, he'll just like take the brunt, maybe suffer some wound to just like fall at a normal speed. Uh, yeah, I really, really like this uh, because like your upper torso and whatnot moves as though you are, you know, like a normally, uh, but your lower legs, you basically have to move them as though they are in water. So movements that would be easy when you are swimming are kind of still easy to do, which means parkour style movements where you'd jump and uh, move into a roll, like you can move your legs to do that. So I, I, I think this makes sense. This is going to be an athletics check. 
it is going to be a hard athletics check because like you are dropping from one higher rung onto a lower rung and you are basically like trying to vault over the side of this wall, land onto a roof and roll to get some distance, uh, then move off the roof and slide over to where Margaret is, uh, which is very possible without having to make yourself run. You just have to do this initial portion to get yourself into the vault. Yeah. And I'm, I'm down to take whatever damn, cause a lot of parkour is very rooted in like using the momentum that you have and transferring that motion and yeah. without that in the lower end, I feel like it's going to be very janky. And like, I feel like he should take some damage, but we can also, it's a, you said hard. Yeah, it's hard. What we can do, if you want to take a point of damage for every point of damage you take, I'll let you upgrade your athletics check. Yeah, I'll do that once. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed, but that makes sense. <laughs> okay, so that's going to be. One failure. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, one failure and four advantages. Okay. So the thing Jonnet was trying to do was vault over the side of this overlook onto the rooftops and roll, then slide off to join up with Margaret. So he's not going to do that the way that he wants to. I think we see Jonnet make the decision to do this and try to run towards uh, this wall. And he's it's moving. He's running like he's running through water. So he doesn't even get a quarter of the momentum he would normally want. Mm. But Jonnet prepares his arms to catch the wall and he pushes the vault forward with his arms. So that launches him forward enough to hit the rooftop. And I think he is able to tuck and roll, but he doesn't move nearly as far as he needed to. Uh, So instead of vaulting over towards Margaret, he vaults down and lands on top of one of the drowned sailors that Margaret has just danced around. Uh, So that's your advantage, is that you've taken out one of those drowned sailors. I will deal that as damage to the group of drowned sailors. Uh, But now you're surrounded by three unfriendly people, and you took the damage uh, from, like, hitting that roof in a way that you did not want to hit that roof. There's a lot of falling involved. Yeah. So... Let's turn over to Johnny. I want to know how's Ryan Lochte doing. What's he uh, up to? Oh God. Uh, what's who's who's around him right now? So there, there is a bunch of unnamed Uhuru pirates who are fighting alongside Lochte in the woods. They have managed to. Uh, drive some of the procession of drowned sailors into the woods with them and they are fighting at an advantage right now because they've surveyed this territory and they're essentially leading these people into a trap. How many drowned sailors are there? Or is it just some? Yeah, there are some and they are like kind of 
filtered in here. I, I think perhaps initially there were a dozen that moved in there, but Ryan got a couple good roles. So I think he and the other members of the scouting party who are not Wilson, who ran away, are picking them off pretty well. Cool. Yeah, let's just go after some boys while we're here in the woods. All right. So you are going to be rolling as the Uhuru crew. It is going to be two green and one yellow die uh, with a black die and a blue die. The black die being the general. The crew didn't vote for this, so there's a little bit of a morale issue. And a blue die of, hey, you are at advantage right now because this is the trap that you have decided to spring. How many purple? Two purple. Cool. We have two successes, and that's <laughs> it. Wow. Uh, I think Lochte and uh, the crew, like, we, we, we just see more shots of Uhuru pirates. Or No, no. It's, we, we see shots of drowned sailors wandering through this marshy wood, looking around for, uh, looking after these pirates that they were chasing. And then from behind trees, pirates spring out and, like, slit their throats as they just didn't watch their steps and their surroundings as Lochte and his crew just tear through them. There are not many drowned sailors left in the woods and Lochte will soon have the option of either moving back to Upper Nordia or attempting to draw more people into the woods. Actually, you know what? Let's skip ahead. Let's say that they have handled the rest of those soldiers. So now... Lochte has to decide. Is he going to continue this gambit? Maybe pull out of the woods a little bit, a fire on the sailors to draw more people in? Or is he going to try and rendezvous with Gable on the stairs and join the fight there? I really like drawing them into the woods. I think that's fun. I, I like it too because it's a risky plan. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's do Yeah, what could go wrong? Let's do it. Lochte steps out. This is going to be another roll against three purple dice, the, the same thing as before, where it is two green, one yellow, to try and pull a comfortable number of people into the woods so that you can repeat this sneak attack against them. Do we get the black and the blue as well? You get the black die for this one, but not the blue because this isn't fighting them at advantage. This is trying to distract them from their ranks. We got uh, one failure and one threat. Cool. So the failure is going to manifest itself as damage against this group. So I am going to roll on the Uhuru death chart to see what happens. 42. 42. Oh my God. Ryan is so lucky. It was two away from dealing him damage. Um <laughs> What I think happens is Ryan emerges from the woods and he is, I think, kind of ramshackle tied to one of the muskets. They are waving an Uhuru flag as the rest of the scouting party is firing their muskets against this procession of drowned sailors. They they are just trying to draw the attention of this line, but no one from the line turns to them. Instead, from one of the small ships that has beached and docked 
to land and deploy these people, one of the smaller rotating guns on the side of the ship fires and there is an explosion of wood and dirt around Lochte and his group. Now they are facing cannon fire. So next round, the decision that they will have to decide is whether they want to retreat into the woods, essentially being cut away from the battle and the group, or if they want to, being exposed, try and make a break for it. So we'll get to that in a little bit. This all sounds like the lead-up to a Ryan Lochte-based campaign spinoff. Like, he's get, he's getting his own arc so much that it's like, yeah. We, yeah, I it's said. wild. I, I was, like, originally having Lochte, like, keep on this because I thought, well, we can kill Ryan Lochte That's and exactly, not feel bad like, we, about I, it at all. We chose him because <laughs> I did not care for him. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> well, you know, maybe maybe he'll die more heroically than really he deserves to. Uh, Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. We've got a lot to get to this week, but we're getting started off with a radvertisement. This one's coming to us from Spiritual Successor. Everybody loves a good video game, but what about cool video games that should not be made? Spiritual Successor is a comedy video game design podcast where hosts Blake and AJ take game ideas from their audience and consider what those games may look like and play like. Some of their hit titles include Metal Gear Solid Bowling, Barbie's Eldritch Adventure, and the highly popular Adam Sandler's Dead Space Remastered. If you've got a hot video game idea, be sure to submit it to their Twitter, at SpiritualSuck. That's at SpiritualSucc. Uh, folks, I think I know the podcast they're referring to, and I do miss it dearly. I could use a lot more ridiculous game design podcasts in my life. So I'm definitely going to be listening in, and so should you. A huge thanks to the Spiritual Successor team for sponsoring the show this week. And if you would like to sponsor this show, be sure to head over to oneshotpodcast.com, click on Contact Us, and then Radvertise. Heroes, this is the week. Yesterday, we launched the Kickstarter for Skyjack's Call of the Sky, the first volume of the soundtrack to Campaign Skyjack's. And heroes, I am overjoyed to report that on our launch day, we raised over $21,000. Uh, so we hit our goal and then some. In fact, we managed to hit every stretch goal that we set for this project. I think we underestimated your interest in it. We're currently scrambling to think of stretch goals, and we're going to be announcing them soon. But if you haven't already, you should still head to Kickstarter and search for Skyjack's The Album, or head to bit.ly slash callofthesky.ks and support the project now. Stretch goals or not, all of the profits we received are split 50-50 with Arnie Parrott. We already commissioned him to make this music, but I think we can all agree that Arnie deserves even more reward for the hard work he puts in. Because we managed to hit all of those stretch goals, we've got another exciting thing going on. We're running a fan-submitted lyric contest for Call of the Sky. 
Basically, you can write a verse for Call of the Sky and send it in, and Arnie Parrott himself will read it and judge whether or not he wants to include it on a fan-composed bonus variant of Call of the Sky that we will include on the album. That contest is running from now through October 15th, and if you have a submission you'd like to send in, you can send it to callofthesky-lyrics at gmail.com. And if you're looking for more information, including an explanation of what Arnie might be looking for in winning lyrics, you can follow the link in our show notes to a YouTube video he posted about the contest. Finally, before we get back to the show, I want to take a moment and thank a backer on Patreon. We are between lists at the moment, but we believe we missed Sailor Jupiter. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We appreciate your supreme thunder support. And to everyone else who enjoys what we're doing here on Skyjacks, if you haven't already, please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to become a backer. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon and everyone who's going to drop into support in the future. Now with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I want to turn back to Gable right now. Gable, you are on the stairs facing Ahab the Mad as just streams of sailors run around you too. I have a question about encounters. If I have a talent that I can use during an encounter, is that just like me and this guy? And then after our, this, this nemesis is... So technically, uh... Technically, it means once per encounter, but uh, this is relating to your duelist ability, right? No, I'm oh. thinking about Berserk. Okay. Uh, so what what is the description? The, would it hold through the once per encounter? Your character may use this talent until the end of the encounter. Until they're incapacitated, your character adds success and two advantages to all melee combat checks. But does is that going to last through the whole battle, or is it just until I'm done with Ahab? That's the whole battle. Okay, well, that's good, too. A success and two advantages to everything? Yes, but then anyone who attacks me gets an automatic success. And then I have gotcha. to take six, six strain after it's done. Okay. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, wins and losses. Trade-off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So Ahab just formed himself out of five other guys? Yeah. What happens when Gable sees this, it's just very shocking, right? That kind of power and also kind of body horror, Akira stuff. Because people like those people were screaming the whole time they crashed into him. The sound was like screams mixed with crashing waves. So their flesh was kind of like water crashing together, and they screamed as they were mixed in together into one guy. So Gable saw this and reeled back a little <laughs> bit, in shock, kind of started panicking and started ruffling around in their pockets to see if maybe do I do I have a gun do I, what else do I have how can I possibly do this and while they're ruffling through their pockets they accidentally touch 
the feather that they got from Il Sanguidio. Oh, this rules. Do it. <laughs> and that's how I think I'm going to be getting into Berserk. I think that is cool. it is accidental. And James, you tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Wow. I love that. Liz, I think this is a good time as good a time as any for you to tell us about the memory of Gable killing God. And specifically, this is the final strike. You are in the heat of battle facing your creator. And I know that the way you have described angels in the past and especially kind of the divine realms is there's an abstract concept of self and body in this situation. But like there has been a battle raging. You are facing down your creator and so much emotion is surging through you. I think a lot of the decision that went into this is about injustice, about the things that the sovereign asked you to do that were not right, about the limitations the sovereign imposed on you that were not good and were unfair. Tell us about those emotions like moving through you because that I think put you in this berserker state. Gable when confronted with evil has difficulty controlling their own actions. The decision to do this thing was a very similar state. Mm. The first thing they feel is those emotions and as they're kind of swirling around, there's also something up into the side, a feeling that they can't quite touch yet. They don't have any context for it. They don't know where it's from, but it is very much a driving force. And something that is that once made them feel very whole. And feeling that overcome them, all of a sudden they see in front of their eyes a very feeble figure kneeling in the middle of a rainstorm on an island. Oh, cool! Mm. Covered, smoking, charred, both of them. Gable still standing, but barely feeling quite a lot of pain, and they have their, their sword out. And the the sovereign, one can assume, is looking up. This is not a Count Dooku thing. It is not. (laughs) It is not. It is not, but it's close. (laughs) But they're smiling, and that is so infuriating. Gable's so mad at Why are you smiling? I am finally going to undo all the troubles, all the pain that you have caused. The sovereign keeps on smiling. Because they, I'm, go- I'm going to kill you. Why are you doing this? Why are you feeling this way? And they're just laughing. The Sovereign won't stop laughing. And it is so horrifying and awful. 
and the Sovereign says to them, You have been betrayed. I think, Gable, like, you have to contemplate that comment for a second, and then you feel a hand on your shoulder and a sweet voice in your ears. Do it now. You won't have another chance. You have to do it now. The cut goes straight through the heart, but way too slow. Oh, that rules. This shot mirrors the final strike against Tiberius. It is one full of wrath and justice as you plunge your blade into the Sovereign. The Sovereign looks human and not human at the same time. And those divine strands that we see that guide the pathways of the universe when Jonnet flicks open his eyes or when Gable tracks their quarry, like we see that in the Sovereign as Gable plunges the sword into the Sovereign's chest. We can see the Sovereign's face. The Sovereign's face is a human face, but it is also in that hazy kind of magic eye way that where you can't really see or understand Gable's flesh or form. The Sovereign also appears to be a collection of eyes and fire. And the sword plunges through the Sovereign's heart. And the gold flames start to slowly eke out from that central location and burn the Sovereign as the Sovereign's melodious and horribly musical laughter dies away as the Sovereign's body is burned from the inside out. And the divine strands of the universe that connect to the Sovereign start to slowly break away and snap. And slowly around you, around this island that you are standing on in the rain, the weather around you starts to become strange and form the first maelstrom that Spear has ever seen. The order that the Sovereign drove gives way to chaos of uncontrolled elements. And then there is that voice, that sweet voice in your ear once again. We have to go. We have to go now. And the memory fades. And it fades into violence. As Gable... The eyes that are now forming your more whole wings flicker open. And you face Ahab the Mad? You have gone berserk. Roll your attack. Cool. <laughs> I'm looking at this. Because I'm still, I still have, like, my other talents. So I can do 
Oh, can you stack on top of of can a berserk? Stack on top of berserk? Yeah, why not? Like I, I you know, <laughs> yeah. it's what's cooler and more fun. And the thing that's cooler and more fun is Gable totally fucking killing this creep. <laughs> <laughs> this game works for us. Yeah. <laughs> Do I still have that blue die for killing the admiral or? E- so this is he is a leader. Uh, like Ahab the Mad is is a leader, so not so really. Not okay. Yeah. Versus two purple, right? Well, actually, it's two red. They're upgraded because he's a bad, bad nemesis boy. These are going to be so hard to count. My God. <laughs> They're all just uh, blank sides. Yeah. Hold on. I need to do math. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That is one triumph and three successes. Holy cow! Oh! oh. So that is a crit. That is absolutely a crit, which means I, I need to turn to my rule book and pull up the crit table real quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I was about to say, I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, can you uh, tell me what the abilities on your greatsword are? Not the Blade of Judgment. Yeah, the the blade of judgment. I think that is kind of coming into play, forced by your angel okay. rage. So, uh, plus four damage, three crit, encumbrance one. So now I need to roll these dice and add thirty. <laughs> okay, here's what it is. Um, <laughs> so I think Gable leaps forward and it is almost like a wuxia film style or maybe it's wushu i actually don't know how that's pronounced i think it's wuxia like it looks like a little bit wire fighting gable doesn't quite fly but as gable dashes forward they move so quickly through the air it looks like they're gliding across the ground and water is streaming out on either side of them as they cut through the puddle and gable's mundane blade meets Ahab's harpoon and the two of them are swashbuckling moving forward as Ahab steps back completely on the defensive as Gable's sword swings through the air in a whirling fury there are a hundred blows that Ahab struggles to defend against but still manages to parry but Gable is not exactly themselves. They have been lost in the dance, a dance that they know all the steps to and Ahab and every cruel, violent thing that ever walked this planet only just barely begins to know the first few notes of. Gable, in a quick movement, is able to sheathe their mundane blade and draw forth the great sword into a strike, a strike that against any mortal opponent would render them dead, their weapons severed in half and them spilt and burnt to ashes on the field. However, Gable is fighting one of the Mariner's own heralds at this time. Gable swings down the great sword, and as the sword moves through the air in an arc, gold fire starts to spring to life down the blade. Ahab catches with his harpoon against that parry. 
But Gable is now swinging with much more force than the blows that they had rained down before. Even with the unholy strength of the sea behind him, Ahab falters, and the harpoon drops down as the greatsword pushes against it, and Gable cleaves off half of Ahab's face. Mm. This would have killed any other opponent. Gable brings the greatsword back in an arc and watches curiously as springing out of the hole in this man's head is blue-green fire, that same blue-green fire that fills his eyes. His mouth opens in a horrible, rasping scream. But he steps back and levels his harpoon to continue the fight. You have dealt an unfathomable amount of damage to this creature. I think any additional hit you lay on him is going to take him out. Uh, Because, like, you dealt the crit, uh, which is leaving him dazed. And that is why I had you cleave his face into is he now can't see properly because he's missing an eye and like half of his brain function and is being sustained only by the Mariner's own magics. So he is not going to be able to act again before you. So, I'll actually have you describe the finishing blow for him right now because we don't really need to roll for it. Oh, he's not even gonna. He's like, he's dazed. So he's not going to be able, he's not going to get another turn before you get another turn. So how does Gable finish Uh, him off? And you don't, I don't need to roll for it. I don't think so. I I, I don't see what we would have to gain from that. Okay. <laughs> That's a waste of time. Uh, seeing the fire, seeing the big hole in his head, they get a quick idea, which doesn't happen very often. Gable jumps up as high as they can and brings the sword down, straight down through the hole in his head. Yeah. Like scarecrows him. I, like, I think you, you stab him pinning him to the ground and then flame bursts out, gold flame bursts out from your sword and at every location where gold fire is starting to overtake uh, Ahab's body blue green fire comes to meet it Uh, so now you have these different otherworldly colors of fire pushing against each other and the gold fire is like slowly but surely pushing the blue-green fire back until there is a pulse through the air and there is an explosion of green light and gold fire consumes the rest of the bobby. I think, especially because we got a triumph here, Gable, you felt not the power of the Mariner get overtaken, but you felt it withdraw as the body that was Ahab's body burns away. This deals a massive blow to the communication lines of the fleet of drowned sailors. 
at this point, there is a moment where the drowned sailors who are in this procession moving up the stairs just stop in their tracks. And the crew of the Uhuru seizes on this advantage and like cuts into them and pushes back this line. Like dozens upon dozens of mariners die as Ahab is defeated. And I need to subtract a full two categories of a threat from the Mariner's forces as Gable has taken down a herald. So yeah, there are still probably like, you know, maybe close to a hundred drowned sailors that pushed themselves into uh, up the staircase past where uh, Gable's forces were fighting. Uh, But the rest of them have just uh, been decimated at the beach and it is going to take a long time for them to reassert their hold on that land. Gable, you are thinking with an angel's wrath right now, which means uh, we'll have to remember going forward, you're not going to be thinking as super clearly. But I also think that is a great place to end this episode. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, I killed your big scary man. No, it's fine. Good shit. It's fine. I uh, I truly. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Tyler. I like because I I did like sort of recognize that like we both met and said bye bye to Ahab in the same episode. Part of me just because like as soon as Liz said Gable's going to go berserk, I just wanted it to be like shink. Just done. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Uh, like it, I mean, especially rolling nope. the crit and revealing Gable's past in the same thing. Like, yeah, there's no way Ahab was going to live through that encounter, which is fine. We return once again to the long line of prospective new crew members for the skyship Uhuru all lined up in front of a table of judges. One of them strides off that line and places a headshot and resume down on the table. Uh, Johnny, would you Hmm. please describe uh, this this person for us? Oh, I would love to. Um, He's uh, he's like an average-sized dude. He's wearing... um, He's got a goatee. He's got bright yellow hair. He's got uh, a shirt that has a bunch of, uh, what is it? A short sleeve tunic embroidered with dancing metallic flames. Uh, hey, hey, hello, uh, potential uh, crewmate. Uh, go ahead and state your name. <laughs> hey, I'm fellow Ferretti, and I am no. so excited to join your ship. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you're I about like... to be flying. <laughs> I hear you're about to be flying out, checking out some cafes, canteens, and crab holes, and I am ready to join your crew. I like this guy's energy. He's uh he's very excited and engaged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's that guy? I love that guy. That guy is top notch. You have a brand new address in Taysville. That's right. I'm the governor of Taysville. You're my newest resident. <laughs> 
sir, uh, what was your what was your name again, sir? Fellow Ferretti. Fellow Ferretti. Um, <laughs> lovely to meet you. You can you explain the conveyance you used to get here? I'm looking out at it, and I'm I'm just is. Yeah, that is a that is a classic horse, uh, bright red, uh, with a big old uh, yeah, it's painted bright red with a big old uh, white stripe on it, and it is convertible, so it does walk uh, on four legs or two legs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. Oh wow. Um. (laughs) All right. So. yeah, being on the on the crew on the Uhuru, uh, we uh, we live fast. Um, we we occupy a lot of different roles. Um, if you're coming on the ship, uh, where do you see yourself um, doing the most good on the on the sh- on the ship? Uh, yeah, well, I love to do good. Uh, if there's ever sort of a national disaster or emergency, I would love to offer my services, uh, cooking for anyone who's there on site. That sounds great. I also do own a winery. Oh, that, oh, that sounds nice. What's it called? It's really called Hunt and Ride. <laughs> Excuse? <laughs> that was too on the nose for me to change. <laughs> <laughs> Hunt and You are I I must say you are a man of many different talents. You are just And I'm yeah, sure and- you get this a lot. You are so much <laughs> like so much. Thank you. That's boss. If anyone needs any other help, uh, I do run sort of a recreational, um, like an intramural cooking league. Uh, so whenever we're in a town and there's maybe a, a market, we'll do uh, <laughs> uh, fellows, fellows fair, free market fair. Uh, that's where everyone runs up and down the aisles. They grab specific foods and then they cook them up real quick uh, for everyone in the crew. Uh, that's you're, you're mentioning uh, cool. uh, cooking a lot. I'm I'm noticing in these. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are, would that be what you'd be looking to help with on the ship? Is 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 cooking mostly, or not help so much as just kind of watch other people do it and tell them that they're doing a great job. Uh, okay, I mean that sounds supportive. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, and do, I could do, do it here. I could do it here on the ship when we're in another town. I could help boost the local economy, get a lot of people coming in, trying some <laughs> some boss new sauce. Uh, as long as, and this is true, there are no eggs on it because I do not like eggs. That's a fun fact that I just enjoy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, uh, fellow. Uh, yeah, I definitely hear what Gable's saying, what they're saying. Uh, you are, you are a lot, yeah, all of it. But it's really. also like, I like, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I like your energy. Yeah. But here's the thing: there are anywhere between uh, fifteen and seven thousand crew members on this ship, and tensions might run hot. So I got to know what what gets you mad, what gets you peeved. You know what? Here's the thing: I'm a pretty even keel guy. All right. So very few things get me mad, except eggs. Uh, when, when people ask questions about my refrigerator, there are a lot of specifics about my refrigerator. There's a zero, zero painted on it and there's a signature on it. It's an autographed refrigerator. It's my prized possession. (laughs) Autographed Autographed by who? who? Oh, by me. You, oh. 
You, what? you autographed hey, your own. Don't ask questions about my refrigerator. What did I just say? Okay, That's all right. right. Hey, 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 yeah. you, did just, sure. you just outlined it. Uh, <laughs> I was fair. I crossed the line and I apologize. <laughs> uh, I, just one more quick question. Why are your spectacles on the back of your head? Yeah, because here's the thing. My clear eyes are looking where I'm going, but I got to keep a watch on where I've been too. You know, never forget. Do you have... Do you, do you have do you, eyes on the back of your head? No, they just look <gasps> they just look boss. Pan. Oh, John it takes his hands <laughs> off of his headband because he's already found a friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, now we gotta worry about uh, every time we add someone to the crew, uh, since you mentioned, you know, the places you've been, uh about rivalries, uh, you know, you being the governor of Tasteville, you, you've held a diplomatic position. Are we going to have to worry about any sort of existing political rivalries with, say, the sheriff of Lip Smackingham or the Archduke of Finger Lickingstein or the city councilman what? of Yamopolis? <laughs> hey, can I look uh, at no. that list real quick? <laughs> <laughs> Tasteville uh, is a is a peaceful city state that has uh, you know great relations with all the neighboring uh, city states, so there's no need to worry. Uh, all we do is supply food to those in need and uh, boost nearby local economies. Okay. Can I ask? Yeah. Um, what's it What's it like to be an elected official? Like, oh, I like- I just declared myself governor of Tasteville. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. You know, it's yeah, cool. Yeah. It's like giving your it's like giving yourself a nickname. It's cool to do. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so you're so you're just governor in name and not with power? If you say if you say you're governor of of enough times, it happens, you know? Be the change you be be the, speak for the speak for the job that you want, not the job you have, you know? Hmm. I mean, I'm still, I'm still on board with you, man. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a yes <laughs> for sure. Like we're in a post-ironic world where earnestly enjoying something is probably the bravest thing a person can do, and I feel the need to invest in my enjoyment of this strange man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. I'm kind of wondering if, uh, you know, this strange man has, uh, uh, like, a line of products. Like, I, I kind of want a shirt that just has his face printed on it in multiple different locations. And, and you know, just, just a print that's just his face. Or a body pillow of some kind. <laughs> okay, we're going to, I think we're going to walk away from this part of the conversation. Jonathan, what do you think? Wendell. <laughs> Wendell, you sit in on 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 crew interviews one time. And it's always, going on a always tear, ends in body uh, no. pillows. Every single time. <laughs> Look, I, I appreciate the sentiment, brother. I'll hook you up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I just want to feel supported. Uh, like like someone is watching me sleep and approving of the way I do it. <laughs> Happy is to help. Is that what? Hmm. Hmm. Man, when is spit coming back? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it seems like we got a new crew member. So is that a yes? Is that a yes? Uh, yeah. I, I think, think so. that was three yeses. All right. That was pretty unanimous. <laughs> that we're, that we're floating out. 
Checking out Spears' greatest cafes, canteens, and crap holes. <laughs> Can't wait wow. to add him to uh, the death chart. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. You can find their shows at systemmasterypodcast.com or through a link on the OneShot website. Finally. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at ATPTunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y. P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter, at Fiona Pup. The world of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.